0: We ask you to bless this time as we come together. We ask you to guide and lead us in what you'd want us to see in, the, in this book. And we ask your spirit to be our leader. In Jesus' name, amen. Jude, verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And for some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. I don't know if we're going to get all the way done, but we're going to read it all the way. Verse 20. Now, you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that's very important because we did talk last week about accountability and separating ourselves from people. And then Jude is going, but you (laughs) build up yourselves in your most holy faith. And I think this is very important. This is not lying to ourselves, but this is taking what God says about us And edifying ourselves because many people have a problem is that they criticize themselves way too much and they're too hard on themselves and you know part of it is because we know our own motivations when we fail we know that we knew better or you know we chose to do it and some there are people who give more grace to others than they do to themselves and we need to always remember what God says about us And this is one of the things that I really want us to know. And we've done this series on the 53 things that happen to you when you get when you get saved, and and we play lots of songs about you know talking about what God has done for us. And I think this is very important. When we're having trouble, are we really putting ourselves down, or are we admitting that God says we're loved, we're perfect, we're righteous, we're His children? Or are we trying to totally rip ourselves apart and make, a, make us feel really bad? And some people do it because they feel like they've got to pay for their sins and be miserable. And you know, the misunderstanding of who God is is a pretty big deal in our lives. And we need to really understand that God loves us. And his love for us is such that he wants us to be able to rest in his love and rest in his righteousness and be hidden in him and be seen as perfect. And we need to quit judging ourselves by what we think about ourselves and go into what God says about who we are and really start to believe what he says. And the more we believe it about ourselves, the more we'll be able to give it out to other people because if it's true for us, it's true for them as well. And this is all of where we're, where we're at. And it says praying in the Holy Spirit. Now if you're in a Pentecostal church, that they'll tell you that that means praying in tongues. I'm just going to tell you that you just let the Holy Spirit guide and lead you. Alright? If you pray in tongues, great. It's something that I don't think is so wonderful. I pray in tongues every once in a while and it's not that big a deal. Alright? I would rather pray in, in words that I know than a bunch of stuff that I have no idea what I'm saying. And... It doesn't matter, but I know that when I want to pray seriously to God, I want the Holy Spirit being the one that that is guiding my prayer. And this is something that is very, very important. It says, keep yourself in the love of God. And so this word for keep, and this isn't actually, most of the time when we read the word keep, it means guard. But in this particular case, it says, keep in the state in which you are. All right. They're not just guarding yourself, you're keeping yourself in what God says you are. And this is important. When we know what God says we are, then we just keep ourselves in that place and quit trying to argue ourselves out of who God says we are. All right, And don't let anybody else argue you out of who God says you are. You know, This was Job's problem. God said he was perfect and he had friends telling him, you're a terrible, miserable sinner because you wouldn't have suffered like this if you were, if you were a good person. Don't let anybody argue, but more importantly, don't let yourself argue out of who God says you are. And this is why it's important to understand his grace, his mercy, or his justification of us. And the fact that he is sanctifying us now does not negate his justification of us. All right? God says we're perfect, and because he's making us who he says we are, does not negate the fact that he says we're perfect. And we need to be able to understand who we are. And if you don't really understand who you are in Christ, I recommend reading at least the Ephesians 1 primarily, but the whole book of Ephesians, looking for all the statements that says you are, or you know, and, and find out all the things that he says you are. You're redeemed, you're you're blessed, you're 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 adopted, you're you're loved, all these things that Ephesians tells us. And start looking for those verses when you're, in this, when you're in the New Testament especially. Look for those verses that say you are something. And I would recommend getting a notebook out and starting to write those down. And when you're struggling with who you are in Christ, go back to that notebook and say, I am a child of God. I am redeemed. I am, I am the... Uh, uh, heir of Christ. I am I am loved. And just look at those things and say, I am these things because God says I am. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you are, whether you uh, or have others telling you you're not, live with what God says you are. And that makes life a whole lot easier in the long run. To be able to just sit back and say, God says this, this is true. All right? which is one of the reasons we're going to be doing the Truth Project, to help people understand these things are true. And once we start learning what is true, now we can start developing a desire to live by what is true rather than what I feel like. And I'm going to tell you right now, your feelings will will lie to you more often than not. My feelings lie to me all the time. I don't feel like I'm saved. I don't feel like I'm loved. I don't feel like people like me it doesn't really matter what I feel I want to know what the truth is most people's problems start with the fact that they don't feel like something is true and then they act on what they feel instead of living on reality and I've seen this happen I've had people think that they were the most terrible worker because they didn't feel like they were working and then they quit You know they may not have been the best worker in the place but they usually weren't that terrible they weren't on the edge of being fired but because they felt that way they acted on what they felt and did something ridiculous and we as Christians need to be careful God says certain things about us and it doesn't matter what we feel like and once you start feeling like something Satan's even going to help you feel even worse about what you feel like and he'll do just like he did Eve. Oh, did God really say that? He didn't mean that. He just knows that the day you eat of it, you'll be like God knowing good and evil. See, he's trying to hold you back. And if we start listening to the lies and believing the lies because of our feelings, we're going to get into trouble. And so we're to build ourselves up. We're to keep ourselves in the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was just that statement alone. God loved me enough to die for me. And all he says, if I believe, I'm saved. And when Satan attacks me and says, Well, you didn't believe well enough, or you didn't, you know, you're not good enough, you're not this, you're not that, I can go back and say, God says all I had to do is believe and he was going to do the work. And these are the things we need to understand. Are we building ourselves? Are we edifying him? And then looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I don't know, do you really truly understand the scope of mercy? <laughs> you know, and most people don't. You know, we we have this idea of mercy that is kind of really foreign but You know, mercy is knowing that I'm guilty and asking to not get what I deserve. All right, grace is getting what I don't deserve, but mercy is don't give me what I'm deserving. I deserve to be thrown away, you know, locked away and have the key thrown away. And God says, I'm I'm here to let you have heaven. Not only am I not giving you hell that you deserve, I'm giving you grace to give you heaven. And a matter of fact, in heaven, I'm going to make you the bride of my son, and you're going to be made into my family. And you're going to rule in heaven over the heavenly sphere and the new heaven and new earth. Now, does that make it sound a lot different than anything else we ever plan on? When we really, truly start to understand what my end goal is. I've heard so many people, well I just hope I get to heaven and you know I'm just going to be glad to be in heaven. There is so much more promised because it has nothing to do with us. Now yes there's rewards, yes there's all this other stuff and I don't understand what rewards mean in heaven because it's a perfect environment and we're going to be ruling with Christ so what more reward do I need? I have no idea. And I have no idea what a reward is going to be, but you know all the apostles talked about rewards. So I don't know. I sometimes sometimes dwell on this because in our mindset, we're stuck on this world, and a reward means I'm better than somebody else because I got rewarded. I don't know what it means when we're all equal in heaven to get a reward. Jesus did say that if you're faithful on this world, you'll you'll get more reward. He says that The person who was faithful with 10 talents would rule over 10 cities. So there is some form of hierarchy and, and rewards in heaven. And we'll all be happy with whatever we get. But at the same time, our authority and power is much greater than we even anticipate because of the grace of God and his promise. And this is what we need to keep in mind. What does it mean? I don't really think about heaven a lot because I can't even comprehend what heaven is going to be like? All I know is it's going to be better than anything I can think of, and I've got a very limited imagination, so it's not much to get better than my imagination. Now, some of the great, great artists and, and you know uh, people that are good with fantasy, I need to find out what they think it's going to be like, and then I'll know what it's better than. <laughs> you know, for me, I just know it's better than anything I can think of, and that's not hard to do. You know. Uh, because I think in terms of ruling and cities and those type of things, and it'll be much better than anything I can think of. And what is it that we're looking at? Are we looking at His mercy? God's mercy, His grace. You know, in the bulletin back of the bulletin today, I go, learn as much about God's grace as you can possibly learn. I think knowing God's grace is a wonderful thing for us to do is to be able to fully understand. Grace, and we'll never fully understand grace. Getting everything that we do not deserve. Getting it freely given to us. He's up there in heaven with a perfect environment, saying, "This is all yours. I'm giving it to you." I'm, you know, one of the great examples of grace that we saw, saw in the scriptures is when David said, "Is there a?" Uh, son of Jonathan that I can bless. And he went out and found Meshivashef, And he brought Meshivashev into the palace and said, you are a prince. The guy couldn't even walk. He'd, his, his feet were broken when they ran off with him to try to help him. And he brought him in and said, you are a prince. You eat at the king's table. You are, you're going to be clothed by the finest Uh, tailors in the place you're going to and he didn't even have responsibilities he was just made a prince and he had every benefit that is just a glimpse of what we have we're gonna go to heaven be clothed in the best clothes that we can and have beautiful home suite of rooms and be able to eat at the king's table and who knows what else will be involved but God says this is your lot in heaven and you don't deserve any of it, but I am making you get, get this special treatment. His mercy and His grace. And we need to really start understanding this because we get locked into, how can I, what can I do to earn heaven? What can I do to earn some good with God when I get to heaven? And it's easy because we are in the flesh and we think in those terms. We have a hard time understanding unconditional love. We have a hard time giving unconditional love because we can't. And a lot of parents will like to say, well, I love all my kids equally, it's a lie. You know, Every parent has some favorites in their kid and they, you know, because we are natural. We shouldn't, but we do. You know, now we may still treat them all as equally as we possibly can, but you know, there's some that you like better than the others and there's some you're going, you are so stubborn, I, can, you know, I wish you weren't my kid maybe, but hopefully you don't say anything like that. You know, and you're so, you're so nice and kind. I love having you around. You know, We want to be very careful about that, but we don't understand unconditional love. And the longer we walk with God, the more we can begin to understand unconditional love. But we're never even going to understand that objective love that God has, unconditional love, where God says, I love you no matter what. And His love expresses all the way down to those that have rejected Him. He doesn't seek, stop loving them. Again, go back to John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. He doesn't look, so love Christians. He doesn't so love those who are doing good things. He <laughs> goes, God so loved the world. And his love is so great that he died on the cross for even those that he knew were going to reject him. That is hard to imagine, that his love said, I know you're going to reject me, but I'm still dying for you, and you could be able to come to me if you really wanted to. His mercy, his grace, is so much deeper than anything we can possibly imagine. And it's saying, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, absolute perfect life for eternity. And the one thing we want to understand, and I've said this before, eternal life starts the moment we get saved in Jesus indwells us and the Holy Spirit comes into our life. We start eternal life at that moment. We do not start eternal life when our body dies because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So all that happens is our spirit just leaves the body and goes right before the god and in his presence and eternal life continues. The good news for us as Christians is technically we don't die. Our body dies, but we just go right on right into the presence of god without any technically death. Yes, our body dies, but we won't be and we won't be even and hardly aware of it. We'll just go, "Oh, now I'm where I'm supposed to be." I'm where I've always wanted to be, right here in front of god. At least I hope that's where you want to be, huh? No more, and pains. no more aches and pains, no more trials, no more tribulations. We just transition from this world into the spirit world and spend the time with God, and then He gives us a glorified body, you know, when when the resurrection comes, and that'll be wonderful too. Uh, but what is our goal with God? Where are we looking at? What are we wanting? And this is all very important. And it says, and of some have compassion, compassion making a difference. So he says, for some, just be sympathetic. All right. Another place Paul Paul is going to tell us weep with those that weep, laugh with those that laugh, you know, and be able to have this compassion with them, having sympathy. You know, there are certain people that you just need to be real soft with and they're going to respond to God. You know, my my kids I had one of my kids. He was so tender and soft-hearted. If you looked at him hard He broke down in tears. Then I had a son who was so stubborn and strong-willed that you had to beat the daylights out of him to get any attention out of him. And God understands that and he knows how to minister to us in the right way. And this is what he's saying for some just be sympathetic and compassionate, and they'll respond. And this is something that is really hard for us because we don't know necessarily who is who, which one is which, one is which and we have to kind of get to get to know them uh, by working with them in a soft, tender way. And I'm going to start, with, when I work with people, I'm going to stop, start with compassion. I don't want to beat them over the head if they don't need to be beat over the head. All right? Start with Compassion love people. And this is something that is very hard for us as human beings when we're not seeing people respond the way we want, you know, especially those of us who are managers, we're ready to go jump in with both feet, stomp on them a little bit, try to motivate them. You know, and usually that's not the best motivation. We might make them afraid of us, and they might look like they're doing something, but I want them to do it because they want to. And this is where compassion comes in gently help people get to where they need to go. Work with them to follow in where they where they need to be and working at it that they want to do this. And, you know, I don't want to see anybody try to get saved or anything else because they're afraid of who it is or they've been argued in into this because that's not real salvation. That is just somebody saying words. I went out soul winning with one person one time and... And this this poor person, she had this teenager up against a wall, basically, and and haranguing that kid to say a prayer. And he finally said a prayer. And as we're walking away, I'm going, You know, that kid isn't saved. Well, God will hold him accountable for what he prayed. I'm going, No, he said a prayer to get you off his back, plain and simple. He did not mean the words. He is not saved. And worse yet, he might now think that he's saved because you got him to say a prayer. We need to be careful. Just saying a, a sinner's prayer is not what gets you into heaven. You have to believe the words. You know, it's not abracadabra, you're saved. It's, you know, there is a belief that has to be behind those words. And then it doesn't matter what words you say. When I know that I'm a sinner and I know that Jesus paid the debt, it doesn't matter what I say. But at that point, I've already committed my life to Christ, even without words, because God knows my thoughts. And as soon as I recognize I am a sinner and need his help and he's the one that did it, I'm there. And this is so important. Have compassion. You know, this is something that is hard for certain people to do, is just show compassion for people. And unfortunately for us guys, it's usually harder for us to show compassion than 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 the the women. Moms have compassion, you know, they're the one that, you know, the Kid falls off the bike while they're learning to ride the bike. Dad picks them up, brushes them off. you okay? Did you break any bones? Nope. Get back on. That's our compassion. Get back on that bike and take off. Mom's going, oh, are you okay? You know, know, hug, kiss. Uh, Okay, do you feel like getting on? No? Okay, come on. (laughs) Maybe maybe next year you'll want to get back on it. Dad's like, no, he needs to get on it now. (laughs) You know, uh, both of those are a compassionate, a sign of compassion from two different perspectives, though. Because there is that need for a, a soft tenderness that says get back up, get back on and there is that side that needs just that love and love and hugs and, and kisses and all that other stuff that goes with it. But we need to have compassion in all of the ways that compassion is, is shown. And this is what we need even in a church. When somebody falls into sin, how do we react? Are we judging them, making them feel bad that they fell into sin, which they're probably already feeling bad in the first place, if they're truly God's child, and then we pour salt in their wounds? Not much compassion there. Or are we lifting them up and edifying them and say, you know what, God says you're perfect, get back up on your feet and let's go forward. Let's forget about the past and move forward. And this is where it is so important for us because we judge ourselves too much you know, and keep ourselves, and we judge others. And as I said this morning, a lot of that judgment is to make me feel better. If you're worse than me, I feel better. What a sinful way of acting. But it is the way we, ha- we act so often. If I can make these other people look really bad, then I'll look really good in comparison, and I'll feel better about myself, and, and others will feel better about me because that person's so bad, and they'll see how good I am. Now they might just see how good you are. <laughs> In reality <laughs> and we want to be very careful with this then he goes and others save with fear <laughs> pulling them out of the fire but having uh, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh there are people that need to be saved by fear the fear of judgment the fear of hell and I've said this many times when I've been, when preaching sometimes, when it comes really heavy and people, and I'm going and many people are gonna say that I'm scaring people into heaven and you're absolutely right. If you need to be scared into heaven, I'm willing to scare you into heaven. I really am. Now I won't do that with kids and everything. I worked with kids all my life and I'm not gonna scare a kid into heaven because that doesn't work. But you know, when it comes to adults, I'm more than willing to scare an adult out of hell and into heaven. That's not a problem. And here he's saying, with others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Pulling them right out of the fire of hell that they're that they're feeling with their toes dangling over over heaven. Spurgeon gave a great message in, in his day: Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he talked about God letting them dangle over hell and feeling the heat of hell so that they would be motivated <laughs> to repent. And this is the thing about it. God's love encourages us to just accept Jesus Christ and move forward with him. But there is the ultimate punishment. If you reject God, you are going to hell, and that needs to be brought out to people as well. That God wants you to choose just gentle love. But he also says there is a destiny that you don't want to go and visit. You know, and I've heard so many people, they joke, well, I'm, you know, when I die, I'm gonna go in hell and have parties with my friends. I go, you don't understand hell at all. Hell is solitary confinement with no love, no joy, no light, no peace, nothing that's gonna make it any easier. And God says that your conscience is going to eat at you for all of eternity. Now, if you've ever had a problem with your conscience, even for a short period of time, can you imagine if it was not to be ever quenched for all of eternity? There's times when I've done something wrong, and I feel so guilty, and you know, I can repent and get, get past it. But when people are in hell, they will never get past the, that conscience pricking at them for all of eternity. That would be bad enough. Yeah, we don't really have enough. it now. Well, we have it now. This is what keeps us from, and even many people have seared their conscience because God says we know right from wrong from because from, it's built into us. And then others have seared that conscience by doing so bad so many times. And if you've ever had a per sin, you kind of understand what that is. When you first did it, first couple times you did it, it really... I probably shouldn't be doing this. It's not right. And you keep doing it. You keep doing it. After a while, you don't think about it being wrong anymore. You just you're doing it. All right. So you have seared your conscience, but God is not going to allow you to sear your conscience in, in hell. And he's going to take away all of the things that are make you good. You're, he's going to take away love. He's going to take away the, the kindness. You know, and even those people who think they're in situations where there's no love, no kindness, In reality, there's usually somebody who's being kind to them, somebody that loves them. They may not be right there with them, but there's somebody that cares about them. And in hell, there won't be any of that, any way to soften the blow. And then God says, it's an eternal burning fire that you don't burn up in. And if anybody's ever burnt themselves, imagine that you cannot pull your hand out of that fire, you know, or away from whatever burned you and it's gonna burn for all of eternity. And you never get consumed. So your hand would be in that fire and have to stay in that fire and not ever be burnt up. This is, the picture of hell is so horrendous and so harsh that I hate to even think about it, but yet at the same time, that's what it takes to motivate some people to understand what hell is. And whenever I talk to people and I'm witnessing to people and they joke about hell, I go, let me tell you what God says hell is. You think you're joking about it. It is not a joking matter. This is what hell is. And you know, it's not something you're going to want. And it's kind of very funny because in the prison, the worst thing they can do to a prisoner is put him in solitary confinement. Now that's about the, you know, you put in a cell by yourself, where you're not talking to anybody. Those guys all of a sudden want to talk to guards once in a while. Because the guards are the only ones they see. And they're willing to talk to guards. And the guards are doing their little rounds and don't have a lot of time to talk to them. You know, and yet people are thinking that, you know, well, hell's not going to be that bad. Hell is an eternity of solitary confinement. And then add pain on top of the solitary. You know, this is something that is very, very serious. And he's saying, with some, pull them right out of the fire. You know, rescue them, pull them out of that fire and preserve them from that penalty. And then he says, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Not by fire, not by flame, spotted by the flesh. What does that mean? Our flesh is sinful. All right? And this is the thing that we have to fully understand because even for many of us that are Christians, sometimes we think somehow I can do some good things. If I serve God just right, and I do just the right things that God wants me to do, those are good. And if it's done in the flesh, it is not good. Isaiah says that all our righteousnesses, all of our righteousness done in the flesh, is filthy rags. And those are the things I think are good. Those are the things that people go, I hope I've done enough good things to please God. So that when I stand before him, I'll, my good will outweigh my bad, and God will say, welcome into heaven, because I've done all these good things. And God says, no, they are filthy Rags. Now, for us as Christians, we have the bema seat to go to. All right, that's our judgment. We won't go before the white throne judgment. We will go through the judgment seat of Christ, and it says there that He is going to take all of the works that we have done in this in this lifetime, put them in the fire, and see what comes out. If it's done in the flesh, everything that we have done in the flesh will be wood, hay, and stubble, and will burn up. Yeah. <laughs> the things that we have done that we have let the spirit do through us will be the gold silver and, and gems and we'll get to take those into heaven so I love God's plan You know, God's plan is just what the world really likes I wish somebody else would do the work and I'd get the pay you know that's God's plan for us as Christians he does the work And we get the rewards. And it's kind of interesting how Satan has lied and, and brought the world into wanting to do it differently. And, you know, he has a lie for everything that God does. You know, whatever God has in plan for us, he's got lies set up to say this is the way the lie works. But he doesn't call it lies. And he's got more than one lie for every truth of God so that if you don't like the one lie, he'll take you down four or five other lies and... Maybe one of them will stick. This is why we need to know the Word of God, and you know, I really, you know, and I'm the kind of guy I like to earn my own my own way, which is hard for me to be even begin to understand. All right, God, I have to. How much have I done? That's wood. You know, that's wood, substantial, good. How many things do we make out of wood that are very useful? Tables, chairs, uh, buildings. When you make, you know, are made out of primarily wood and they're solid, and they're good. And, you know, I think how many pastors have got a lot of wood that they're going to go into heaven with? We've been trained in school how to teach. We've been trained in school how to, how to counsel. We've been trained in, in all of this. How many times do we do it in our flesh and it's going to burn up? Not that it's bad for the people receiving it. And I know there's times when I've, gotten, I've given messages that I know weren't from God. I just know. I know the difference. Now that does that mean everybody that heard the message didn't heard wood? No, many of them might have heard gold, silver, and precious gems because the Holy Spirit takes those words and says, okay, we're going to use those for you differently. This is something that's very important for us. No garment, hate the garment spotted by flesh. It's good deeds, bad deeds both but even the good. Over the years I have seen many many people that are very self-righteous and if you look at them from the outside without getting to know them, you will go look at that person, what a good Christian they are. I've never heard a use a foul word, I've never seen them be angry around people, they're at church every time the doors open, they, they seem to know God's word, but if you knew them all the time or you get to know them, and you find out they're nothing but a bunch of self-righteous, well-disciplined people. Their garment is spoiled by the flesh. And that was who Jesus had the biggest problems with, the Pharisees, who were good people. Now we have this idea that the Pharisees were really bad and mean people, but not all of them were. Most of them were just people trying to serve God as good as they can in their own strength. And they we're following, there's 613 laws, I'm gonna keep every one of them, but I'm gonna do the best that I can. And I'm gonna be as righteous as I can be, and that was their problem. And I've said this many times, if you're using the word, look at me, look, you know, look what I have done, and you're seeing me and I in your conversation a lot, you've got a problem. You've got a big problem because there's, you're lifting yourself up and all of that and God's saying, no, we're not, you know, I don't share my glory with anybody. And this is the thing that we have to understand, His glory will not be shared. You know, we have this problem that we think God is looking for really strong, uh, strong super saints. But you know, if you look at the scriptures, everybody that God used, almost everybody, had all kinds of weaknesses. We talk about how great a faith Abraham had. Abraham did not obey God when he left Ur of Chaldees. He took his father and he took his his nephew. He lied twice about his wife being his sister. Well, technically she was, his half-sister, but you know he lied twice because he was worried about being killed because of how beautiful his wife was even at 80-some years old. He still lies and says he's his sister because he's afraid she's going to be taken into a harem. Uh, you know, uh, and he lies all the time. David, you know, we look at David and we go, "Wow, what a faithful guy David was." As he lies several times, he acts like he pretends to be, you know, insane because he put himself in a bad place. You know, David wasn't all that great a man. He couldn't take care of his family. He didn't raise up good children. He had family that wanted to rebel against him. And yet, we raise him up and say, "I want to be a David." Well, I don't think so. (laughs) I might want to be what he ended up, but I don't want to be what he went through to get there. You know, we need to be very careful about who we look at and say, that is who I want to be like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Peeping Tom, yeah. (laughs) But... You know, We want to be very careful because part of what gets people to be as great as they are is all the trials and tribulations they went through to get there. And we need to understand if you really want to be what those people have, you're going to have to go through a lot of fire, a lot of trials. God is going to put you in the, in the big pot and put a lot of heat on so that he can work out all the impurities in that fire. <laughs> if that's what it takes for us to get pure, that's what he'll do. I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to be that close enough to need that much fire. But he didn't use that kind of fire on Job to cleanse him. He was cleansing Job. Well, yeah, but he lost. <laughs> because remember, and I've said this several times, part of the thing is, Job had a prosperity gospel. Right, had he had the wrong thoughts about God. So God was cleansing him. He was putting him in the fire to say, I want you to learn. When God puts us in the fire, it is to work something out of us. And it could be sin. It could be bad doctrine. It could be a better understanding of God. Any number of things could be why we are put in a fire as he's refining us. And, you know, I don't know a whole lot about it, but they keep saying they, they keep turning up the heat on silver and gold until more and more of the impurities. And they don't just start trying to boil it right off. They, they get it hot. They skim it. They get it a little hotter and they skim it. They get it a little hotter and they skim it. They get it uh, because if you boiled it, it wouldn't it wouldn't do what it needed to do. So they just keep turning the heat up slowly and let these things simmer out. God does the same thing with us. And what is he trying to burn out of us? anything that's not him and the greatest picture on that is what are they looking for in that in that gold that they're melting down and simmering they're looking for a perfect reflection of the person who's cleaning the cleaning it no impurities and god is looking to see himself in us see himself in us by putting that fire on us and keeping the fire tweaked up and all we do, because it hurts to be in the, in the fire, it hurts to go through this process, and we're going, God, I don't understand any of this. This hurts. And God says, yes, it hurts, but I am making you more like me. And the end result is what I want, and ultimately, as, as we as Christians, what we want, to be more like God. And how does he do that? He just keeps testing us. He keeps turning up the heat. Uh, I think I know a little bit about God's grace. He's going to put me in a place where I have to show even more grace. I think I know a little bit about his love. And he's going to turn up the heat and says, okay, do you really understand love? God, I've learned to be forgiving. All right, let me turn the heat up and let's see if you can be, be forgiving in this circumstance. He keeps turning up the heat to clean out more and more impurities. He wants all the flesh off the garment. None of our own works. He says, I want to get rid of all these. I'm scraping them all off. I'm going to keep moving them off until there's a perfect reflection of me in that liquid, your life. And this is the beauty of it. When we fully understand what the trials are about, it makes the trials easier to go through. I'm not going to say they're easy to go through. But when I know that God is trying to perfect me and show me places where I'm not like him, it makes it easier to go through the trial. I'm not gonna say it's easy because it still hurts. It's still hard. It's still irritating. But at least I go, there's a goal, there's a reason. And this is what's important for it because so those who aren't saved, all they going, man, they're, you know, life is terrible. You know, uh, or doesn't this ever end? Look at all the stuff I'm going through. You know, and it's like, all right, are you turning to God? Are you seeking God? And I hear it all the time from people. You know, everything just going wrong in my life. I hear everything comes in threes. Nothing ever goes right. You know, and we all hear those same things. and Maybe we're the ones saying it, unfortunately. But... Are we really looking to God and saying, God, you're working out every spot of flesh in the garment, every bit of it. That's his goal. Now, if he ever did it, we'd, go to, we'd be raptured right away, just like Enoch was, and, and go ahead and meet him. Uh, I don't expect that to happen in my life. I got a long, long ways to go to get all the spots out of my life. Our goal is to let him get those spots out of our life. No, no spots at all. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Note this one, to him that is able. All right? It's not me who's able to keep myself from falling. Now, I like to think, you know, I'm strong, I can do this. But, you know, one of the things I have learned is every time I think I'm strong and that I can do something, God makes sure that I get knocked down. And I'm not saying it's him that's knocking me down. I'm just saying I will get knocked down. The, the footing will come out from under me. I'll do something stupid. Everything will look, you know, I'm all all right, I can, I can run across this field. Now, one thing that you need to learn if you haven't ever experienced it, if you start running across a field that you don't know anything about, that's not really a wise idea. There are pits, there are there are holes, there are you know mounds of you know things. You don't run on a field that you don't know, you know, don't know or haven't, you know, you're not playing a sport where you know the field should be relatively smooth. But I've heard people tell you tell them. Do not run the horse across an, a field, you know, because you don't know what's out there for that horse to trip on and, and, and get broken legs. You know, and this is what he's saying to him who is able to keep you from falling. You know, and this is so important because it is God that does it. He is standing right there. And, you know, I'm starting to understand this a lot more because my mom and my stepdad both have a hard time walking. And neither one of them like to use their walkers. And you'll watch them crossing the room and, you know, staggering and you know, almost stumbling, and, you know, you, you want to just, you know, I've been up more often when they get up, I get up, especially if they don't grab that walker. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, especially if my stepfather falls down. Even though he's lost a lot of weight, he's still pretty heavy but I'll try to catch him or try to get him down easy. God is saying, I'm standing right beside you. He is, and he is strong enough to make sure that we don't fall as long as we're letting him stand there to help. And this is something that's very important to him who is able to keep you from falling and why? And to present you faultless. Oh, what a beautiful word that is. Faultless, without blemish, and unblameable. But he will let us fall. Huh? He will let us fall. If we don't want to let take his help, he'll let us fall. If we want his help, he'll sit there and say, because that's what he says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Now he's able to do it. But if I'm the kid saying, no, no, go away. (laughs) I'm going to do it myself. I am going to learn to walk by myself as they fall flat on their face. Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn to ride this bike by myself. I don't want your help. I'm going to learn to walk without your help. And there are kids that push their parents away, even when they're learning to walk. We don't want to be that kid with God. (laughs) Yeah, because God will say, okay, fine, you don't want my help? Go ahead and fall down and bruise your knees and skin your legs and, and break your bones or whatever else is going to come. You know, I was here. I was going to hold your hand. You know, I've had this experience when it was time to cross a busy street with my kids you know, and grab hold of their hand even if they didn't want it. It didn't matter. That street was too busy. I held onto their hand like dear life because it meant dear life. You know, they broke away. And, you know, they would pull and toss. And there are times when God will do that with us, saying, no, this situation is too serious for me to let you fall. And he'll hold on tight to us. Then there's other times when he just says, okay, you want to fall? Fall. Fall. Go ahead and fall. I'm here to hold your hand. I'm here to hold you up. But if you really, really want to fall, I'm going to let you fall. By the way, I'll be right here to help you back up. So yes, he's capable of keeping us from falling. But it really is our choice. God, I want you to help me. Or go away. (laughs) Which takes us back to doing things with the spot of the flesh. (laughs) All right? This is all tied together in one big statement as he's tying up the loose ends here. If all my flesh is being taken away, then I'm leaning and totally dependent upon God. And once I totally lean and depend on God, he will keep me from falling. Because I'm leaning into him, and I'm wanting to be protected by him and kept by him. If I'm just pushing him away all the time, then I'm saying I can do this, I'm back to having spotted flesh on my garment. Even though it's the garment of Christ, and he's saying you've gotten it dirty again. You've got it dirty again with your fleshly activities. And, you know... And we all know most of us are stubborn enough to want to do things our way and push his hands away and say, God, I'll, you know, I want to get a bloody nose a few times before I finally let you take over. And we do it over and over and over again. And God says, are you done hurting yourself yet? You now, he's, he's very patient. He's very patient, and he will honor our free will, even when it hurts, even when it makes us fall down, even when it makes us lag behind where he wanted us in the first place. And he goes, well, if you'd have just learned to walk by me holding your hand, we would be way over there on the other end of the field instead of still over on this end of the field trying to learn how to walk. I wanted you way over there. I wanted you being the, the, the uh, coach of the team, not still learning how to crawl. And, you know, he's very easy going with us. He puts the trial in front of us over and over and over again until we pass the trial. And then he gives us another trial to take over. He is not the public school system that says, oh, you don't know how to add, subtract, and multiply, uh, add and subtract. Oh, well, we're going to move you up to second grade where now you have to do, do more math even though you can't add or subtract. Oh, you don't know how to spell any words. We're going to keep moving you up. That is not the way God is. God says, oh, you need to learn to add and subtract. You need to know, learn how to read. Now we can move you up to the next grade. Oh, now you're learning multiplication. Okay, now we can move you to the next grade. He doesn't move us up until we have passed the lessons that he is teaching us. Which is why I have met some people that have been Christians for 35, 40 years and they're still in kindergarten trying to learn how to do the basic steps of, of steps of Christianity. And then you meet some people, they get saved and they're just, they're charging down the road because they've learned to depend on God. And, you know, Where are we with God? Only we know that. How many times do we go through the same test? Are we actually learning through the test? Or do we get through the test and grumble and gripe about what God let us go through? You know, God, uh, this is terrible. You just aren't loving me. It's so, so, so bad. And God's saying, well, if you would just hold my hand, we'd get through this. If you just stay on the path that I have put you on, which is narrow, you would have been through this with no problem. If you had just stayed on the path, I will lead you to a banqueting table in the presence of your enemies that you won't have to worry about. And you're all worried about the enemies and you're trying to fight off the enemies before you sit down at the banquet table that I have prepared for you. Where are we with God? Are we trusting God or are we fighting with God? And too often we fight with God including myself too often we fight with god about everything that goes on in our life and it says that he wants to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy think about this the holy spirit is the one that's doing the sanctifying he's he's looking forward to taking us before jesus and saying here is your bride that has been cleaned up, made spotless, and is beautiful. If you've ever been in a wedding, you know, uh, I get to stand in front of the wedding, my wife was being taken care of in the back, you know, there's a whole team of people trying to make her perfect for the wedding. You know, Make sure that dress is just right, the hair is just right, the makeup is just right. And the guy stands up there and the guy is knocked, knocked off his feet just about when the bride comes down the, down the, down the aisle. His, the one that he always thought was beautiful has been made even more <laughs> beautiful. The Holy Spirit is looking to present the bride of Christ with exceeding joy. He is going, he's saying, I am going to decorate this bride so beautiful that when Jesus sees the bride that he's bought... He is going to be exceedingly glad. And the Father will be exceedingly glad. Look at that precious bride that we paid for, that we have, we have decked out. You know, and this is what he's looking for, exceeding joy in us. You know, and we've got to understand this. What God sees in us is totally different than what we see. He sees this beautiful perfect bride coming down the aisle to get married and all of them get excited. Look at the precious jewel that has been produced from all of this trial. We look at all the trials and say, God I don't like this. Now, To make a diamond you take the coal and you put it under extreme pressure to get a diamond. If it didn't go under extreme pressure it would not be a diamond. And God is saying, I am creating diamonds out of blocks of coal. How does he do that? He puts us under pressure and says, I'm going to help you become this beautiful thing that I'm trying to get you to become. Why am I trying to go through all of this is? We need to quit complaining when we're under pressure. We need to quit complaining when we're under trials and say, God, I'm just going to trust you. Help me walk through this. And I'm saying this because I'm going through trials right now. I've got several trials going on right now in my life that I'm saying, God, I just need to learn to trust you. Because if I start thinking about the trials, I'm going crazy. Because I don't see how to get out of them. And God, it's in your hands. I need to learn to have peace, that you have a plan. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to try to come up with plans and everything. It just means I'm going to try to be peaceful and say, God, I'm going to come up with some things, and then you're going to tell me whether it's right or not. And you're going to allow it to work, or you're not going to allow it it to work. But he wants to be joyful in us, exceeding joy. What a difference that we have when we see God looking at us and saying he loves us and really does want what's best so that he can be joyful in what happens. And we kind of look at this and like, go, God, you're, you just really must be really mean. Look at all the hardship you're putting me through. And God says, no, I'm just trying to get you into the gem that I want you to be. I want you to be this beautiful gem. And that takes you know, the hard pressure of the diamond, or if you just want to talk about the cutting of the gems, it's painful to have the rough edges cut off. You know, I don't care how you want to look at it. He's saying, I'm taking this other gem, and it's got rough edges, and I'm going to make a beautiful, you know, what kind of cut are, uh, you know, I don't know the cuts of gems, but I'm, I'm going to make this beautiful gem cut out of it. Whatever whatever the beauty of the cuts are. And he's going to say, I'm going to make you beautiful, and I'm cutting off all the rough edges. And you're going to be the perfectly cut gem. It's going to sit in that ring just perfectly. And I'm going to look at that and say, wow, what a beautiful, enjoyable gem that came out of this. We need to be able to understand his purposes are different from what we think every time we go through pain. And the last last verse says, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen the only wise God. God has wisdom. God knows the future. He knows the best way to deal with us. (laughs) He knows exactly what we need to become what He wants us to be. He knows when to use the whip. He knows when to be gentle. And He will give us what we need. Now for me, Unfortunately I'm getting better. I don't need the 2 by 4 over my head like I used to as much as I needed it in the past. And God knows that. He knows that I'm listening better than I have in the past. But he knows exactly what it takes to get that action. He knows when, when to just use a gentle prod in the sides to say go and he knows when to use the whip. Using the horse analogies. You know, a good rider knows when, when to really get that horse riled up and moving and when to gently get that horse moving. God knows all of that with us. And he says he is the only wise God. And what is going on? He's doing this for his glory and majesty. How God gets glory and majesty out of working us into a precious, precious jewel, I don't know. But that is, it's all for his glory and majesty. Now, this gets us into a very hard thing God is perfect and doesn't need anything and yet he's doing everything to get glory and majesty I can't justify those two ideas you know, why did God create man in the first place he did not need anything the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit were in perfect unity for all of eternity and they made man so that we could come up and join them not as God but join them as joint heirs in the royal authority of heaven. We are going to rule over the angels. We're going to rule over the new heaven and new earth. And God voluntarily wanted to do that so that he would have his glory and his majesty lifted up. I don't understand that. I don't understand how a God that doesn't need anything does does everything so that he gets glory because he doesn't need it. But that's because of our fallen nature. We can't understand getting glory without having a need for glory. Because that is the way we are. We need to get rewarded somehow, some way. And we have that need. God does not have a need. He's just being glorified through all the actions that happen. And it says, and dominion and power. Those are His. And then it says, both now and forever. You know, everything that God is doing is not just for future. Most of it is for now for us, and there is going to be a fulfillment of everything in the future. But God is always working in the present with us. Even in God's definition of who who He is, when He told Moses, Moses said, what shall I, who shall I say has told me to come? And he says, God's answer was, I am that I am. That's in the present tense. It's not the future tense and it's not the past tense. God says, I am. Right at the moment that we are in, God is in the present. He doesn't live in the past. He doesn't live in the future. He lives in the, in the present now. Matter of fact, he lives technically he lives in the past present and future at the same time because he's done even in time so everything to him is the present now we can't even comprehend that idea but you know even for us we need to live in the present and I've said this so many times there are so many people that are living in the past everything went wrong I need to change the past we can't change the past and to be honest there's very very little we can do about the future I can make some plans for the future. I can try to lay some, lay some goals for the future, but I have no control of the future. You know, I may be dead in the next second. I may be dead in the next hour. You know, I don't know what's going on in the future, and I don't know what's coming my way. I may have all these great plans, and I could be in an accident and be a quadriplegic tomorrow. I have only very limited planning of capacity for the future. The only thing I have that I can control, and I really can't even control it, is what is going on right in the moment that I am living in. And even when I said that, it's already gone. (laughs) All right, but by the time I think about the present, it's already the past. So we need to be very careful. We have a very slim microsecond of time that we have any control over at all. And even that one, we have no control over because it's all in God's hands, and it's, God is at the power and dominion now and forever. He is never going to lose dominion. He is always going to be in charge. Satan came against God and said, I'm going to sit on the throne, of, on the, on the throne next to God on the, on the sides of the north. I'm going to be like God. But you know it's weird, like you keep saying too that we have our free will, but God knows our free will. What we're going to do, that we think that, oh, this is our free will, but God already knows, like. We still have free will, but He does know what our free will is going to be, and that's hard to comprehend. (laughs) That is, and His plan already keeps in my free will, so that so that He works out what needs to be done, and there is a thing about this is. God, if it had to make us make a decision, would set up the circumstances in such a way that we make the answer that he wants to do. God can manipulate the circumstances. He would be a master at it because he knows the future. He can work the situation in just such a way that says, Oh, well, you have free will. You can do the only thing that makes sense, which is what I want you to do, or you can really be stupid... <laughs> And do something that totally, totally makes no sense at all, which we're not going to do. And if we did that, he'd know that as well. But God knows what's going on. He knows how to work with us. He knows how to make it that we want to. And the more we surrender to him, the easier it is to surrender our free will to him. Because then we are becoming more like him and our free will starts to become what he wants in the first place. And it is hard for us to understand how God, you know, I still cannot imagine why God made man knowing that man was going to sin, and knowing that he was going to have to die on a cross so that he could redeem man. And he still made man. I don't even have a clue why that happened. We were talking about that this morning and kind of he was looking towards the end product. Getting all the majesty and glory from us being in heaven with him. Because why else? But he doesn't need majesty and glory from us. Which is why it's hard to picture. Because from a human point of view, well, he gets us. You know, He gets us redeemed. Okay, big deal. What did God need? But, the, but I understand. Because that's the only thing I can come up with. Somehow he finds us of great value. But he doesn't need anything. So to have gone through all these trials and tribulations to... To get us? But get us in our glorified well, get us in our glorified state that He, that like he gave us, us. Yeah. that He had to pay to get. Yeah. It is just mind boggling because He is perfect and He does not need anything. Because we've got to be very careful because we slip, we slip down in this idea that say God wants worship and love and honor. He's never needed it, He doesn't need anything. He is perfect within Himself. There's some kind of joy, there's something he, there's obviously something that he gets from uh, the worship and, and, and all. I don't know what it is because again, we have a fallen nature, so we can't understand from God's point of view. No, we, know view. we just know the worldly view and it, we don't know enough about Scripture to really understand why God would have done any of this. But this yeah. is the problem is, God is not going to be any happier. Or more fulfilled because we're worshiping him he's because he's perfect. And as a matter of fact, he's going to have all the people that have chosen to go to hell. That would be more people that have chosen that than have chosen him. So there's great pain in what he has done no matter what. So I don't know why he created man knowing that the majority were going to reject him and spend eternity in hell it's hard to understand. He loves us all perfectly. So I don't, you know, this. we don't know enough about how God sees things to understand it. And we come from a fallen position. Everything that we think of is tainted by sin and selfishness and desire for approbation and, and re- acceptance. So we judge God getting us and try to figure out how he is pleased with us because we accepted him and, and have been changed, changed to be like him. And we can't really fully understand it because every everything we can come up with is tainted. This is the thing that we have to understand. Jesus died on the cross. He became sin. All sin was put on him on the cross. There is only one sin anymore after this, and that is to yeah. reject Jesus. So it doesn't matter what they do, what they don't do outside of accepting Jesus Christ or rejecting Jesus Christ. Now, because when they stand at the white throne judgment, they are going to be cast into hell because they rejected Christ and they are not wearing perfect righteousness in front of God the Father. So they're actually being sent to hell for all the good things they've done. Because it's not good enough to to be perfect. Whereas we get to go to heaven for only one decision accepting jesus now we get rewards for whatever and again i don't understand what rewards mean in heaven because my (laughs) idea of rewards is look at all the good things i've done you know i'm better than all these other people because i've got rewards i don't think that's our motivation when we get to heaven because we got a perfect mindset we're we're going to have some gifts we're going to have some rewards and what they mean in heaven i don't know because the only thing that I had to judge rewards by is this earthly way of living and I want as many as rewards as possible to say I'm better than everybody else look look how many times I won employee of the year or I made this much money or I did this or I you know my kids all turned out good or this you know you know uh, back in the day when I was young everybody used to have these little pins for Sunday school and you know perfect attendance additions oh, on them star. you know uh, and stars yes. all over them and I had plenty of those I had plenty of them with perfect attendance, you know. But you are understanding what I'm saying is we get rewards, and we're going to have more rewards than we think in most cases. Because most of the rewards that we're going to have when we go to heaven are for all the things that we did just living for God without even thinking that I was doing anything. The times that you were kind to somebody, or you did some service for somebody, and you're just being nice, or you, you, you said something nice to somebody, or you built them up, or you sent them a card you know, saying we missed you. And all these little things that go on and you're going, all of this doesn't, didn't seem to matter. And they're going to get to heaven and saying, I watched you. I saw when you were nice to that person. I saw when you were nice to me. I saw when you, when you served this meal. I was watching when you did whatever it was that you did. And I can tell you over the years, and think about it, the people that have touched you the most in the Christian walk usually they weren't the things that really got you impressed Is things that aren't really them being superstar it's just they lived christ in front of you and you noticed it and you were encouraged by what you saw from them you know very few people are are ministered to by the superstar pastor that's making himself look good it's all the people around that are being kind to you that lift you up to encourage you When you're down and they say, you know, God loves you. You know, God has a plan for you. We don't know fully what those things are. And, you know, I have seen more testimonies where people said, in the middle of the night, I woke up or I couldn't go to sleep. And I wondered if what that person had said was really true. And then the Holy Spirit starts walking on, working on them, walking on them, (laughs) working on them over and over again to say, believe, just believe, follow through with what you what you've heard and you get to lead them to Lord without even knowing that it was you you just did your thing and, and, and walked and talked and they got convicted by the Holy Spirit and your words were just part of what got them convicted and you may or may not know that that was what happened don't ever feel discouraged that you're not walking well enough with God just live with God, speak His words, be kind, love one another, show grace, and you may be surprised when you get to heaven about how many good things there are up in heaven for you to be rewarded over. And I can tell you more often than not, it's the simple things when I'm just being myself. And people are going, wow, this is so great. You know, my favorite thing is, as I've told all of you, I just like to answer questions. I'm not trying to preach, I'm not doing I just take the questions, answer those questions. I have more fun with those, and I think those are probably going to be where I get the reward most in heaven is for having spent time just answering the questions people have because that's what I love to do. you know some of these messages might actually be rewarded, some of them won't be. <laughs> but you know this is my job like I'm, a, I'm the teacher and I've told I told a group of pastors one time. How many of us pastors have a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble because we get paid to teach on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night whether we're ready to or not? Because we're paid. Everybody expects me to be here on Friday, you know, these four Bible studies to teach. Now hopefully most of my studies are not wood, hay, and stubble. Most of them I hope are, are precious stones and silver and gold. But I know darn well that not all of them are. Because I'm paid to be here, I'm going to do it. Now, I'd be here even if I wasn't paid to do it because that's who I am. That's who I've always been. But you understand what I'm saying. What we do that is just honoring God is going to be a great reward for us as we lift him up in front of people. And more people notice than we, than we expect. And I've heard this so many times when people said, nobody, nobody cares what I do. Nobody cares, nobody's watching me. Well, they know you go to church. If you've ever said that you're a Christian, people are watching you. If you go around carrying a Bible, people are watching you. you know, they're wanting to say, is that person representing something different than I'm used to? And they know that we're not perfect, and they know that they may be you know, trying to make us think that they're looking for perfection, but they know the difference. They're looking for a real person who is satisfied with life and that God is helping to be satisfied. Lord, we ask you to bless this time that we had. Help us to learn to follow you and to trust in you and all that you do and to really understand you, that you have our best in, in your desires for all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says,